there is a place just for you. A place that embraces the promise of a warm spring night and a reminder to hurry home on a cool autumn evening. It is a place that exists above and below, where the surreal and sublime dance cheek to cheek. This is a place just for you to sit back and enjoy. Beautiful tales for the disenchanted. Our tale tonight is entitled The Ultimate, Chapter 19. Amidst the ruins of the gods, black shadows breathe and release their grip on the red sun, a maroon sunset lighting up the remains of this world. Ghosts flicker in and out of existence, their screams are silent, but their pain is immeasurable. Above the sky, faces appear, looking down, curious creatures regarding what they see as a curiosity. Here on the edge of forever, ultimate man knows what is asked of him. I've travelled across all of time and space, he asks. I've met so many amazing people across infinite worlds. I've experienced the greatest of achievements of long-forgotten empires and helped console the loneliest of beings, bringing light to their darkest of thoughts. He stands tall, his broad shoulders confident, his arms perfect and strong. Clad in blue, red and yellow, his cape flutters about him in the wind, draping itself perfectly around his body. He looks and smiles the type of smile that suggests he knows something you don't. How long do I have to save us all? Athena and Calliope stand to one side, the book in their hands. They tremble with the effort it takes to hold the book in place and open to the correct page. An hour, says Athena, maybe two, but down there we don't know. My journey into that dark, dank place already feels like a distant memory, says Calliope, sweat rolling down her arms and dripping into the dirt and mud. The time dilation is hard to read. Maybe you have a week down there, possibly less. In the distance, a cacophony of roars and shouts sound on. Ultimate Man turns to his friend and nods his head. Sounds like the animal men have begun their last charge. You know these machines that tear through our sky. They're just a distraction, says Athena. It is what the frail wanted most of all so they could attack us with their words. Ultimate Man nods. His friend Athena is always right, her wisdom beyond them all. They're trying to reduce our story to tragedy. I won't let that happen. I'll find the toxic cattle flute and the huntsman. Ultimate Man puts his massive hand on Calliope's shoulder, sparks forming and disappearing where their bodies touch. She feels strength return to her arms, the book becoming lighter for just a moment. Don't be discouraged, you'll see him again. Time to enter the fictional world. Ultimate Man smiles and flies straight into the air and then turns around, flying straight towards the book. Athena and Calliope look at each other and grit their teeth. This is going to hurt. Ultimate Man flies down toward them and just as he is a few metres from the book, he turns on his ultimate vision and the book begins to burn. Hold tight, sister, Athena yells. And then he is gone, the book suddenly too heavy to hold, ripping itself from their hands and falling to the ground. Calliope rushes over and turns the page. She looks to Athena as she staggers back to her feet. What do we do now, says Calliope. Now, sister, guard this book. Read what happens next and hope the ultimate man is up to his greatest challenge yet. They exchange a hopeful look and then begin to read. Chapter 20 If Robert was reading the situation correctly, he may have to rein himself in. He'd arrived at Ultimate Comics in a great mood, a mood that had begun the moment he woke and noticed he wasn't hungover at all. Since he couldn't remember going to bed and had a vague memory of a drink or two, he'd put two and two together and figured correctly he must have knocked off at least one bottle of red. 
down in the kitchen, an empty wine bottle sitting upright in the sink, confirmed his alcoholic suspicions. Still, he felt great, so once again he learned no lessons and set about engaging with the day. Robert found Alfred asleep in his usual position in his basket near the window and rather than wake him, decided to let his little furry pal sleep a little longer. As he walked back up the stair, with each step he could feel his back and shoulder click into place, his spine begin to align itself into the proper shape and the back of his neck crunched like post-pack bubbles until there was nothing left to pop. A long, warm shower later and Robert felt like a million dollars. No, scratch that, he felt like a few thousand dollars, but considering he often felt like he owed money most mornings, this feeling was an incredible win. He'd washed his hair and figured if he was going to wash, he should condition it as well. Drying his hair was going to take a while, especially since Robert wasn't certain if he owned a hairdryer. He felt like he definitely did at one point, but how long ago was that? It didn't matter since he'd woken early, he wasn't in a rush to leave the house for once, he could dry most of his hair with a towel and go from there. With his newfound sense of morning enthusiasm, a warm and glowing feeling, Robert decided that today was the day that he would have an actual shave. Initially, the blade dragged across his face and Robert wondered when was the last time he'd used this shaver. He popped the dull blades onto the side of the basin and clicked in a new shiny version that removed his stubble with ease. In the sink, black and grey hair formed geriatric yin-yang images before being swept down the sink. Looking up into the mirror, Robert reintroduced himself to a man he hadn't seen in a long time. His pale skin was no longer quite as taut around the jawline as it once was, but if he ignored the bags under his eyes, he felt he definitely looked younger with a fresh shaven face. Maybe he could pass for late 30s. This unexpected thought gave him a mild thrill and new confidence for the morning. It made him laugh to think he'd hit a point in his life where looking younger also meant looking late 30s. While he prepared Alfred's breakfast, he decided he could use some music and rather than look for a new record, he just pressed play and let Bjork fill the room. He turned up the volume and marvelled over how the music sounded so different first thing in the morning. Last night, the drama of the songs made him feel slightly melancholic, but this morning, they sounded like anthems that encouraged the listener to seize the day. Alfred walked over and did figure eight work between his legs, looking up at Robert, a little uncertain about what was happening this morning. He was used to his fleshy two-legged friend being a dull shadow of himself, and definitely not awake before Alfred. He was conditioned to watching Robert stumble about and go looking for his usual white pills that would eventually take some, if not all, of his pain away. Now he was not only up early, but he was feeding Alfred food that he normally didn't get until night time. Robert looked down at his friend and sang along with Bjork and decided the purring that came from the cat was a sign he was on the right track for the day. With a newfound energy, Robert picked out some clothes that he thought might signal that he was a new man. He slipped into a clean black t-shirt that had a ghostly silhouette of Ivor Davies and the word Ice House at the bottom. Why not? Robert was friends with Ivor until his self-imposed exile from the rock and roll world. Wearing this t-shirt would be a statement of intent. Robert had no idea what that statement actually was, but he would fill in the blanks as soon as he had a half-decent thought. At the bottom of the cupboard, he found a brand new pair of black jeans that he'd bought a few months before, but had dumped in a drunken stupor and subsequently hadn't gotten around to wearing. It was obvious that they were brand new. They still had the sales tag gripping on for dear life around one of the belt loops. Slipping into the jeans was such a pleasure that he didn't bat an eyelid when he had to suck in his gut to make certain the top button could be done up. Upon breathing out, Robert knew that if he could get through the morning, the jeans would naturally fit and they would stretch and he would eventually be able to eat a meal later that day. 
memo to self, get fit. Rummaging through his wardrobe, Robert found a dark brown corduroy jacket. This was another item of clothing that he'd bought a long time ago, and while he'd worn it a couple of times, it was still feeling like it was brand new. He slipped his arms into the sleeves and checked himself out in the mirror, naturally making a pose that would have made a 90s rock photographer proud, a perfect blend of shape countered by nonchalance. Why hadn't he been wearing this jacket all along? It was a great fit and made him feel like a million bucks. Well, not a million, maybe a couple of hundred. Considering most mornings he felt like a buck seventy-five, this was shaping up to be a fantastic day. Before he left his house, he picked up Alfred and gave him a squeeze before giving him a little kiss on his cold nose. Alfred continued to purr even after Robert put him down and watched as his crazy, demented two-legged friend left the house, wondering just what the fuck was going on this particular morning. It wasn't until he reached Spring Street in the city that Robert acknowledged that yes... He was walking into the city. He'd been so lost in his own head, squeezing words into sentences that could have been mistaken for lyrics to a song, Robert had totally missed what his body had been doing all along. In fact, it wasn't until he was nearly taken out by an errant street cleaner, trying its best to clean up the refuse from the night before, that Robert came to the conclusion that he was not only walking, but he was doing so at quite a brisk pace. Is this what enthusiasm feels like? Robert wondered to himself. By the time he was crossing Swanson Street, his view of the homeless reminded him that regardless of his good spirits, there was still so much more that could be improved in the city. There was an inherent sadness walking past the men and women, wrapped up in tattered bedding and dirty quilts, huddled in the corners of buildings amongst the indifference of the streets. When a stranger asked him for money, Robert slipped him $20, not allowing it to alleviate him of any sense of responsibility. He made a mental note to himself to work out how he could help contribute to finding a solution to this issue. Enough with the hiding. This was his city and he was going to do his best to clean it up, even if the politicians and the rest of the arseholes in charge hadn't found a way. Robert was certainly in good spirits, and the positive force that coursed through his veins inspired him to ring the store, even though he was only a few blocks away. Hey dude, it's Robbie, he said when Damien answered the phone. A slight pause on the other end. Hey Robbie, are you okay? I'm good, I'm good, he said through deep breaths that brought a morning freshness to his lungs. He really was walking much quicker than he was used to. Is everyone in this morning? Yeah, Anissa is here and Kylie will be here soon. No Greg though. Sure, sure, no Greg, although he might pop by later, I guess. Anyway, see you soon. Robert didn't wait for Damien's reply as he zigzagged through the city. Instead of walking straight to the store, Robert popped into the local cafe and ordered a round of coffees and muffins, a breakfast treat for everyone. Robert really felt like he was on a roll. A few minutes later, he bounded into the store and caught everyone off guard with his energy. Anissa couldn't stop staring at Robert, so much so that he had to ask her if everything was okay. Yeah, she said. It's just... You're clean-shaven and not wearing all black. You almost look sober, Damien finished the sentence for her. You know what? I thought the same thing, he said and gave Damien a wink. Robert wasn't certain the last time he had deliberately winked. He'd spasmed plenty of times, but wink? It was a brand new world. Damien looked at Anissa and shrugged. They didn't need to say anything, but they both wondered what Robert had taken and would he share any of it with them. From behind, Kylie wandered in, her black jacket in hand and her pale blue t-shirt on show, emblazoned with Stranger Things Sucks in a pink neon font. Robert didn't miss a beat as he handed her a coffee. What happened to your face? I had a shave, Robert said. 
He refrained from winking in Kylie's direction. He knows she would have called him a pedo or just thrown up on the floor at his feet. Robert may have been in a good mood, but he wasn't that far gone to make that type of faux pas. What's with the t-shirt, he said, pointing at the top. I thought you were all about the 80s. Kylie sighed. As a flavour, not a destination, Robbie. Anissa walked over to stand alongside Kylie, her red and white floral dress complementing Kylie's pared-down aesthetic. I like Stranger Things. Kylie looks at Anissa and rolls her eyes. They both giggled at each other and then returned their collective gaze back at Robert. Don't freak out, but he's not dressed entirely in black, says Anissa. Kylie walked over to him and got right up into Robert's face, sniffing his breath. You don't smell drunk either, she said. Robert looked at Damien. Is your girlfriend flirting with me? Damien looked over at Kylie and nodded his head. If she's smelling your breath, she's definitely keen. Kylie threw a balled up tissue at Damien that bounced off his forehead. Ugh, girl's germs. Too late, Buster. You're full of them, said Kylie. Anissa walked over to Robert, her tall frame gliding across the store. She leant down to Robert's height, her arms around his neck, looking deeply into his eyes. Are you okay, Robbie? Hey, I'm just in a good mood. Is that rare? His staff looked at one another. Yeah, said Anissa. Not this early, said Damien. Not unless you're still drunk, added Kylie. Or high, said Anissa, completing the staff loop. You're not high, are you? Robert stood back and playfully did his best to dignify himself, his hands brushing down the sleeves of his jacket and pushing his hair into a loose ponytail that immediately came apart. How dare you? All of you, he said in mock anger. I'm going out the back to continue my good mood by doing some work on my computer. But first, I'm going to drink my coffee and devour this massive fucking muffin. With that, Robert picked up his coffee and massive fucking muffin, turned around and entered the office, leaving his staff happily dazed and confused behind. Inside the office, Robert took off his coat and threw it on his desk, sitting down in his chair, drinking his long black and eating his muffin, realising that he didn't actually have any work to do. Damn, he was in a good mood. Robert wasn't quite certain why he was in such great spirits, but he did come to realise that if he were appearing in a comic, he was talking at everyone in size 48 font. He really needed to calm it down. He checked the time. It was 9.45am, and that meant Damien would be hosting his Creating Comics class for kids. This also meant that Erica and Jemima would be in soon. Both of them. Together. He didn't know which one he was more excited to see and immediately felt like an arsehole. Maybe he was just happy to see both. Is that a possibility? He felt that was okay as he wasn't necessarily feeling romantic towards either of them. He just liked them. Was that fair enough? He'd nearly had sex with Erica while drunk, one of his classier moves for the year. There had to be some kissing at least, even if he couldn't remember any of it. Another classy spin on the whole situation. He should have some romantic feelings towards Erica, shouldn't he? Then he'd had that bump in with Jemima after the restaurant burst into flames and he'd really enjoyed talking to her, but there was nothing romantic going on in his head. Nothing. So that must be fine. He was just looking forward to catching up. Why was he overthinking this? Maybe because he'd bound into work like a teenager who hadn't seen his girlfriend for a whole weekend and was just a bit by golly, by jingo, by crikey excited to see her again. But which one was he excited to see? It must be both. What was he going to do when they arrived? Who would he greet first? It had to be Erica. That was the right thing to do. Yeah, now Robert is thinking about being a gentleman. The guy who woke up with his withered penis wrapped in plastic like a novelty toy that someone once thought would one day be worth money. What the fuck was going on? Robert had no idea. He really should have thought this through before he came in. Perhaps he should have stayed home. 
This is all too much. He hadn't felt this way about anyone in a long time. What would a grown-up do in this situation? A grown-up would probably be dealing with grown-up things like school fees and superannuation and sports clothes for the kids and stuff. When Kylie suddenly popped her head into the office, apart from giving a mildly embarrassing yelp, the first thought Robert had was, how long have I been sitting here staring into space? That was masculine, said Kylie before Robert could even think of retorting. She added, your girlfriends are here. Don't be like that, he replies, with as much dignity as a grown man whose yelp can muster. I'll be right out. Robert brushes himself down and runs his hand through his hair. He grabs his phone, turns on the camera and uses a trick he'd seen Anissa do where she checks to see if anything is in her teeth by having the camera image flip around. When he first saw Anissa do this, he asked if there was a mirror app to which Anissa smiled and without patronising him, showed him how his smartphone camera could work. Robert appreciated Anissa being nice to him, especially because if he'd asked Kylie, he would never have heard the end of the old man Robbie jokes. He walks into the foyer to see the three women looking at the new comics on the rack. Jemima has her hair back in a ponytail, casually dressed in jeans and a t-shirt. Her daughter has her hair like her mum's, a bright pink t-shirt and black leggings with white dots all over them. Erica is dressed in ripped blue jeans, white sneakers and a loose black knitted jumper with the sleeves rolled up. All three girls have their coats over their arms, looking like they're about to model for a casual clothes catalogue. Robert thinks about what to say as he walks up, hoping that his years of writing lyrics won't fail him now. Ladies, he says, completely failing from the outset. They all look over and smile in unison. Their lack of guile and seemingly genuine happiness to see him is slightly unnerving. Saving any people from fires, Jemima asks. Not this morning. This is definitely a fire-free zone. Did you see the news footage, says Erica? It was hilarious. What do you mean? Erica and Jemima look at each other and laugh. There's a moment when you're talking to the cops in the background and you quite clearly clock the camera and freeze for a moment before fading into the shadows, says Erica. Like when Homer sinks into the hedge at Ned's, adds Nalani, a big smile betraying how happy she is with this line. Robert smiles for a different reason. He's wrapped that he understands the pop culture reference. You watch The Simpsons? The reruns are on all the time, says Jemima. Ah, yes, it must be the new mash. All three girls look at him blankly and Robert realises with one flippant remark he'd lost all of them. Or Seinfeld? This time the girls all nod and give it a bit of oh yes and uh uh-huh, immediately letting him off the hook. Robert sees the thick wad of paper she holds in her hands and decides he feels most comfortable talking to the youngest person here. What do you have there? Nalani looks up at her mum a little embarrassed until Jemima gives her the go-ahead to answer. This is my comic book that I'm making, she says, handing the paper to Robert. He thanks her as he takes it, and the first thing he notices is how thick it is. He flicks through the pages that are full of panels and words and marvels at the detail in her comic. Wow, you did all of this? Nalani nods. This is really impressive, he says, flicking backwards and forwards through the story, noticing major story beats and lots of action. It's about this woman who is the greatest hero of her world and the team that she leads, and they're up against the ultimate evil, and the only way they can beat them is to find this magic object that will banish the bad guys away, says Nalani, as she almost runs out of breath with excitement. Jemima rests her hand on her shoulder and whispers, breathe, to her daughter. Nalani nods and continues. These heroes save the world all the time, and they're led by this woman who is the best, and a god, and they're up against these evil old, like, really old men that think they should be in charge of every universe. Hang on, which universe did they save, says Robert? All of them. That's a lot of universes. 
Nalani giggles while Erica instinctively rubs her niece's shoulder. She looks at Robert with a big smile on her face. Do you want to know the crazy bit? That's the third issue, says Erica. Fourth, Nalani corrects. Oh, I'm sorry. The fourth issue of this ongoing saga. Wow, says Robert. This is amazing. Damien is going to be over the moon with this. Jemima takes off her glasses and rubs the lenses with the bottom of her t-shirt before checking them against the light. She slips them back onto her face and looks down at her daughter. She loves mythology and superheroes, and I think someone may have been influenced by a certain Wonder Woman movie. Did you see Wonder Woman, says Nalani. I didn't, I'm afraid, he replies, shaking his head as way of confirmation. Erica puts her hands on her waist and screws her nose at Robert. Wait a minute, you own a comic shop and you didn't see Wonder Woman? Robert shrugs. I co-own a comic shop and yes, I didn't see it. In my deference, it came out at a really busy time for me. Damien walks up and stands alongside Robert, his hand moving his floppy hair out of his face and his grin spreading from ear to ear. Looking at him, Robert immediately feels guilty about what Kylie told him last night. Why did that just pop back into his head? He'd rather forget about that information. At least forget about it while he's busy dealing with his confusing feelings for the sisters. Just forget about it all now. And then later on, when he has more time to think it all through, he'll be a better boss, a better friend, and help everyone get back on track. Robert is full of the good cheer today, and he's not afraid to share it around. Just not quite at this moment. I saw Wonder Woman three times and loved it, Damien says, waving his hand as a little hello to everyone present. Do you mind if I have a look at your comic? Nalani watches intently as Robert hands over the magnum opus. Damien flicks through it, nodding his head in approval. Far out. Just at a first look, you really have a great sense of pacing, he says, continuing to read. I know this is really corny and I don't want to be that type of mum, but I think she's got real talent, Jemima says, taking her glasses off again while she tries to wipe a particularly annoying smudge from the left lens. And as her auntie who is more than happy to be that type of auntie, I can definitely say she has major talent, Erica says. What happens in the class today? They all wait for Damien to answer, who is too busy reading the comic in his hands. Robert nudges him and when he looks up, just for a moment, Damien looks like he has forgotten who these people are that he's talking to. Oh, you know, how to draw things, how to put a story together. We try to flesh out ideas, the usual kind of stuff. We get the kids to talk about their favourite comics and we break down why they're good, you know. Just encouraging kids to be creative, that kind of thing. Damien hands the comic back to Nalani. Who are the bad guys? These old wrinkly men from another dimension who ruined where they lived and now they want to ruin where the heroes live. Cool, says Damien. Maybe we'll get you to go first and talk about your comic with the other kids. Okay, says Nalani a little nervously. Maybe start with someone else and then bring Nalani in, I reckon, says Robert, reading the situation perfectly. Good idea, but we have to talk about this because it is amazing. Shall we get going? Nalani nods and together they walk over to the section of the store that is sectioned off with small tables covered in paper and pencils. Half a dozen kids wait for him, five boys and one girl, ranging in age from what looks to be 10 to one gawky lad who could pass for 15. A few parents sit there as well and Damien says hello to everyone. These are his people. Nalani goes and sits at one end of a table and calls out to her mum to sit with her. Jemima raises her eyebrows at her sister and goes to join her daughter. Old men that ruin everything they touch, Robert says once he's alone with Erica. She laughs. Pick the girl that doesn't have any strong male influences in her life. Robert nods his head. I get that. I don't think she's entirely wrong either. We do tend to ruin most things. 
Erica turns around and moves towards Robert. His first reaction is to take a step back, but at the last second he decides to stand still. He can smell Erica's perfume mingle gently with the hint of a coffee that she drank this morning. What about you? Do you ruin everything you touch? This is a question that Robert had asked himself on many occasions. For a moment, he feels taken aback by the accuracy of Erica's query. His first reaction is to answer defensively. He can see a hint of a smile, though, that suggests a mischievousness that is playful. I don't know, he says. I hope not. When you're not being a real-life superhero and saving people from fires. I smoke a lot of pot, so I recognise the smell of fire quicker than most people. So, Erica says, quite clearly changing tact, did you enjoy talking to my sister the other night? Now Robert feels guilty, but he's not certain why. Is it because he's attracted to Jemima? Is he attracted to Jemima? That would be gross if he were. To paraphrase Seth Gecko, Robert might be an arsehole, but he's not a fucking arsehole. He's more on the self-involved side than the bang-everything-in-sight type. Heck, Robert isn't even certain he's even liked a new person as a friend, let alone two new people in a short amount of time. He hasn't really thought this through, but he's certain in this instance that he isn't. He finds her attractive, but more in a way that suggests good company. He also likes Erica, but his thoughts aren't linear. Instead of morass of drunken ideas and hungover feelings that are still bouncing around in his head, he should have just had a simple answer ready to go. What would Batman do in this situation? He'd be prepared and ready to go with the perfect response. What do you mean? says Robert. Bravo! With everything he could have answered, this was 100% the worst response. What do I mean, Erica replies, her head slipping to one side. Immediately, Robert wishes she hadn't done that. I just mean, did you have a nice chat with her? Or did something else happen that I need to know about? No, 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 I just... uh..." But before Robert can stumble through an awkward response, Erica laughs and puts her hand on his shoulder. I'm teasing you, Erica says with a laugh, her white teeth filling her mouth. For a superhero rock star, you really are a bit useless in the crunch. Robert regains his balance and feels steadier physically and emotionally. Right, well, in my line of work, you can easily be accused of many things, and Robert trails off as he looks at Erica, who has stopped laughing and is now waiting to see where he'll go next. He mentally prepares himself, resets, and lets his shoulders drop. I'll just concentrate on the bit where you called me a rock star and leave it at that, he finishes. Jemima said you were a perfect gentleman, walked into a taxi, says Erica. Nothing to worry about, your reputation is intact. Your sister was a welcome relief. Without her company, I think I was well on my way to wiping myself out. Robert pauses thinking about how true this statement is before deciding to change the subject, not really wanting to divulge that he was about to be blind drunk again. Your niece has got something going with that comic, right? Right, says Erica. Her comics are so detailed and full of energy, I don't know where she gets these ideas from. I guess she has done a lot of reading and we don't have a big extended family so gatherings are full of adults when they happen she either sits with us hears our conversations or she's off with her head buried in a book drawing listening to audio books that kind of thing that comic though it really is something else damien will be great for her he's really good with kids actually all of our staff are great with kids and what about you robert shakes his head looking down at his feet i like kids i hope i'm good with kids do you have any Me? Nah. Do you want kids? He rubs his hand down one side of his face, pulling the thumb up under his chin. For a moment, he loses himself in the fact he's so clean-shaven. He can't remember the last time his face was so... naked. I don't know. Maybe. I'd have to get my shit together first. 
You and every other guy out there, Erica says, slipping her jacket back on. Robert is surprised. Are you going? Yeah, stuff to do today. What are you doing tonight? Robert has a thing. Was he meant to be doing anything? Maybe. I don't think I have anything on. What do you have in mind? Erica picks her phone out of her little bag and absentmindedly flicks through her messages. She reads a few and then looks up, a new smile spreading across her face. I'm free. We should reset. Have a bite to eat, regardless of the debacle of the other night. Robert winces as he wishes he could remember some of the debacle, so he knew just how much he had to improve it. He guesses the answer is a lot. Erica continues. I think you have potential. You seem nice, so we should have a bite to eat and go from there. What do you say? I'll be around your side of town, so pick a place that won't burn down and I'll meet you there around, say, 8 o'clock? Okay, that sounds great, Robert says. He is relieved that someone has just made a bunch of decisions for him. This will also give him an excuse not to start drinking in the middle of the day. Are you certain you don't want a place that is going to burn down? I know heaps of restaurants just waiting to go up and smoke. Erica laughs. It's up to you, but wherever we sit, we sit close to the door. Deal? Deal. Erica leans in and gives Robert a kiss on the cheek while squeezing his arm reassuringly. Don't fuck up, she says, walking away. I feel like I should tattoo that on my hand as a reminder, he calls out as she walks away. Erica ducks into the lesson, whispers something to her sister. They have a quick hug and then she's gone without looking back. Robert looks over at Jemima, who catches his eye and winks. He nods in return, not quite certain what he is acknowledging. It has been such a long time since he's been excited to hang out with someone, especially in a possibly romantic way, that he feels a little lost as to what to do next. In times of confusion, there is one move he can rely on. Robert walks over to the safety of the office and slips inside, only to be surprised to find Greg sitting in the dark, looking intently at his computer screen. Robert yelps like a teenage girl watching her first horror movie again, but much to his relief and mild disappointment, Greg doesn't react. Normally, an embarrassing noise would give Greg plenty of ammunition to take down his friend, but the lack of acknowledgement is a worrisome sign. Hey, what are you doing in? Robert says, attempting to sound relaxed. Greg runs his hand through his thinning red hair. He has more hair in his beard than he does on his head now. He rubs his eyes, and for a moment, Robert fears he is about to cry. I'm just, I don't know, I'm, you know, trying to fix things, looking at places we can move, trying to find someone who isn't going to charge a fucking arm and a leg to clean up that graffiti. I, Jill, ah, she has family coming over today and Greg stops talking and puts his face in his hands. For a moment, Robert is rooted to the spot. He feels that he should go over and give Greg some physical contact, a reassuring hand on the shoulder or a hug or something, but they'd never had that type of relationship before and it feels weird to start now. Are you okay? Robert says. He immediately chastises himself for asking such an obvious question. Greg sits in silence for a beat before raising his head, picks up his glasses from the table and slips them back over his face, the glow of the computer screen reflected in the lenses, hiding his eyes. Greg looks tired. Puffy. That's the word that keeps coming to mind about his friend. He seems so puffy, like the weight of the world is building up physically in his body without any valve to relieve the pressure. Where do I begin? The store stuff is really much further down the road than I realised, and Jill, well... Jill, you know, Greg says. Thanks for asking. Is there anything I can do? Greg looks at Robert, tired and sad. Can you put on a cape and fly around the world so we can go back to the good old days, says Greg. Sure, Robert says. 
I've been waiting for you to ask me to do that for ages. My bad, I should have asked earlier. I'll go and slip into my costume and get to it. Greg lets out what appears to be a laugh, but the lack of commitment reduces it to a loud breath. You know, I'd love to hear a new song from you. You used to write beautiful songs. I can write you a new song, Robert says. He hasn't written a new song in such a long time, he's not even certain he'd know where to begin. This isn't the time to be honest, though. What do you want in your song? I don't know, Greg says, leaning back in his chair. He puts his hand behind his neck and massages himself up behind his ears. Something sappy. Something about love overcoming everything. None of that cynical shit. I need some positivity in my life. Done. I'll turn back time, write you a song that will make your heart sore, and then I'll sort out that graffiti with my x-ray vision. Greg laughs, and this time it sounds genuine. Robert feels thrilled. I'll take that too. There's a bunch of kids here this morning for Damien's class, Robert says, changing tact. I don't know how he does it, especially through this awful winter. Greg stands up and with one click shuts down his computer. He grabs his bag and jacket, looking like someone who suddenly needs to be somewhere else. He's a good kid, says Greg. They're all good kids. Remember when we were good kids? <laughs> so long ago, like last century. I made you read Watchmen, and I am eternally grateful that you did. Greg walks up to Robert, and for a moment he thinks they're about to hug it out, but instead Greg puts a outer hand. Old school man respect. They hold a firm handshake. Thanks, Robbie, says Greg. For what? Greg walks to the back door and opens it, pausing briefly to lean on the door. I don't know, just thanks. See you next week. As the back door closes, Robert yells out, Give my best to Jill, but Greg doesn't answer as the door closes behind him. Jill, poor Jill and poor Greg. Robert walks over to his desk and falls into it, uncertain of why he is out there. Maybe he should write a song for Greg. That might be something positive to focus on. Suddenly the office door opens and Anissa walks in on her phone, mumbling to someone down the line. She clocks Robert, mouth sorry, and heads out the door that Greg just exited from. Robert watches her walk through, all hunched up like she's being folded into a space that isn't big enough for her. He gets up from his desk and walks over to the back door where he can hear Anissa having an intense conversation. He walks away feeling guilty for eavesdropping, but wonders if he should see if she's okay. He stands in the middle of the office, still a monolith of indecision, before walking back to the door and listening again. He can't hear what she is saying, just the vague intonation. After a moment that feels like it has lasted too long, the conversation on the other side of the door stops. Robert looks around the office, hoping to see something, anything that will inspire his next move. There is nothing. He will have to make the next move without any idea if this is the correct move or not. It's okay. He's on a roll. He's in a good place. He's got this. Robert takes a breath and walks out the back. Anissa leans against the brick wall on the other side of the alley, lighting a cigarette. She click, click, clicks away at the lighter without any luck. Robert walks over, removes the lighter from his pocket and lights a cigarette for her, his hands cupping about the flame even though there is little breeze. I didn't know you smoke, he says. I don't, Anissa says, making a smile that is weighted with history. I used to smoke, in another life. He nods. Robert has always understood the allure of bad habits, especially under duress. He looks at Anissa and feels his heart crack. He doesn't like seeing her upset, especially since he's not used to it. Do you want to talk about it? says Robert. Anissa looks at Robert and smiles again, but this time the smile feels genuine, free. What's going on, Robbie? Are you in love? What does that mean? I don't think you've ever asked me if I want to talk about something before. Anissa holds out her pack of cigarettes, offering him a gasp, but he shakes his head. 
Not only does he not want one from the minty fragrance blowing his way, he is convinced they're full of menthol, the smooth devil's choice of shithouse cigarette. I don't think I've ever seen you upset before, Robert counters. Oh, Robert, you really do live in your own world, don't you? A sudden jolt of guilt washes over him. He cannot argue with this. I guess you're right on two counts. Why two counts? Yes, I do live in my own world, and yes, I do want a cigarette, even though that minty monstrosity you're smoking is repugnant. Anissa pops out a cigarette and throws it to Robert, who manages to catch the cigarette. You're back in the team, Anissa says. With hands like this, how could they ignore me? Robert replies while lighting the cigarette. What did you mean about being in love? Anissa takes a long drag and then leans back, billowing smoke into the alley that swirls for a moment before dissipating into the day. Look at you, this is the most together I've seen you in ages. And then those two women come in. Which one is it? Robert takes a long drag and ponders the question. It is one thing to have thoughts whirling about your head, but it is another to articulate them to someone else. It somehow makes the thoughts feel real. I don't know, it's honestly quite confusing. I like both, for different reasons, he says, taking another drag. He has another think about what he has said and quickly decides he has to add... I have to point out that this isn't about sex. Anissa snorts. It's always about sex. Hey, I'm serious, he says, eyes wide, pleading his case. I sort of went home with Erica the other night. The blonde? Yes, the blonde. I went home with her, but to be honest, nothing happened, or not much happened. I Look, I was incapable of anything. So then she comes in with her sister, and then I bumped into her after the restaurant burned down. Turns out she's cool too. I don't know, I just like them. Guys can just like girls without having it to be icky, right? Anissa shrugs her shoulders and finishes her cigarette. I guess. I'm not hiding anything. I didn't say you were. Robert feels defensive and doesn't really understand why. He decides to change tact. You know how complicated things get. Anissa is standing away from the wall now, brushing off some cobwebs that have grabbed a hold of her shoulder. She cocks an eyebrow over his last comment. What do you mean? Robert finishes the cigarette and flicks the butt towards the little bin next to the entrance it misses and caroms into the alley, immediately lost amongst the chocolate bar wrappers, the random refuse and the muddy stains from all the rain they've experienced. In his head, he bids good riddance to the only cigarette that could give you cancer and diabetes at the same time. I was speaking to Kylie last night and she told me about your predicament. Now Anissa stands taller, her shoulders widening, her stance strengthening. What do you mean, my predicament? Robert immediately knows he has just made a terrible mistake. Uh, predicament isn't the right word. She just told me about you and, well, she had no right to tell you about that. Oh, I'm not saying it is a bad thing. I wouldn't tell Damien. Robert, it isn't your place to tell Damien. No, I know that. In fact, I'm not really comfortable with you guys talking about me. To be honest, it was more in passing, but was in passing. This isn't going well. Yeah, Robert says. When Anissa abruptly turns and walks back into the store, he knows that he has totally and utterly fucked up. Robert stands still for a moment, trying to decide if he should follow her or let her go. No, he has to go in, but he's already lost precious time to reassure Anissa as she has moved like the flash and is nowhere to be seen. How long did he think about moving before he actually followed her? This is not good. As he walks into the store, Jemima sees him and makes her way over, standing between Robert and his opportunity to fix his situation. There you are. 
Sue, Erica was saying you're going out to dinner tonight and I was wondering if you'd like to. Robert is feeling his pulse rise. He looks at Jemima and can barely make out what she is saying. He looks about the store and sees Anissa confront Kylie and as he sees them, he watches as both look in his direction. He's fucked. He's fucked and it is his fault. He turns back to Jemima. Sorry, yes, what? I was thinking that both of you could come to my place for a drink before dinner and then you two lovebirds could hit the town after that. Robert shakes his head. I wouldn't say we're lovebirds or lovers or anything like that. He turns to look at Jemima who is now looking at him slightly disappointed. Jesus shit, what did he do to fuck this moment up? He runs through what Jemima just said to him and goes straight to the answer question part. But I would love to come to your place. That sounds great. Are you staying or Jemima takes him by the arm? Are you okay? He looks over at the girls who have taken their conversation to a part of the store that is bereft of people, private, out of earshot. Oh, fuckity fuck fuck, what has he done? He knows he's made a big mistake, but Robert can't quite work out what the actual mistake is. It feels larger than what he thinks it might be. Who's he getting? He has no idea what it is. He's useless. Why did he think he was suddenly the guy everyone could rely on? Hey, just give me one second, is that okay? Robert doesn't wait for Jemima's response before skipping across the storeroom floor, not certain if he really wants to be walking in this direction. As he arrives, Anissa turns sharply, walks right past him without making eye contact into the office. Robert turns and, trapped in this no-man's land, watching the office door and to absolutely no surprise, sees Anissa come back through the door with her personal belongings and without making eye contact again or with anyone, leaves the store. She could have left through the alley, but this exit was a message. Robert looks at Kylie. Well, you fucked that. Robert shakes his head. I don't even know what I did. Well, I think I do, but Kylie looks at him and can see the anger filling her eyes. She shakes her head. No, no, you don't, Robbie. She thinks you know something that you don't. I don't know what that means. I'm going to go after Anissa. Okay, good idea. Go get her. Kylie shoots him a look that parents usually say for their children. I wasn't asking permission. Before he can reply, Kylie's out the door. He feels terrible. What an idiot. Robert looks over at Jemima, who now has her back to him, flipping through the comics on the stand. That suggests that it must have looked bad for Jemima to turn her back and pretend to read comics. In her defence, he would have done the same thing. He feels a tap on the shoulder and turns around, hoping it is the girls pulling a prank on him. Robert is severely disappointed. Hello, mate. And there they are, dead fingers tapping. All of them, united again to fight the foe no single hero could withstand. Is that foe Robert? Irrelevancy? Bad investments? Hello, boys, Robert says. This is a nice surprise. Ethan Clifford on bass. Jay Britcher on lead guitar, Jono Britcher on piano, and good old Nico Clemens on drums. A big round of applause for the band. Hello, Bobby, says Nico. We have you at a bad time? Nah, it's perfect time. This was always going to happen. There's no point in saying the truth that this is in fact terrible timing, but Robert knows this will be perceived as an excuse to avoid talking to his old mates. In their defence, they could be correct in that assumption. Come out the back, we can have some privacy there, he says, looking in Jemima's direction. This time she's looking in his direction, and when they make eye contact, she mouths the words, 
is that your band? Like she's a silent movie star. He nods with a slightly sleepy look on his face, letting her know that this is not something he is looking forward to, and then holds up his hand, his forefinger stretched out, the universal sign for, I'll be back in one minute. He means this gesture. He just hopes it is the minute he intends and not a minute many minutes from now. Robert returns to the office where he moves some seats around from their desks and makes room for some of the lads to sit amongst the boxes and piles of comics. One by one, the old band members give Robert a series of man hugs. Rigid upper torso, one arm around the top of the shoulder that allows for a reassuring pat that expresses, I love you, man, but not in a respectable way, while the free hand gives a firm handshake that is jammed between two chests. Ethan, the coolest of bass players in the day, now stooped with a bad back and dark, short, spiky hair that doesn't match the grey in his eyebrows, hugs him at right angles. Robert puts one hand on Ethan's shoulder as he leans back, squeezes it to see that Ethan is okay. Ethan smiles a smile that suggests he is happy even if his eyes betray him. Jay and Jono, the twins of the band, still look good. They've obviously looked after themselves, a little rounder in the face, a little less blonde hair covering the tops of their heads, but these guys look like the type of dudes who gave up cheeseburgers a long time ago and can now almost convince you that paleo bread is tasty. Both smile at Robert in a way that suggests they're not very comfortable being here now. In fact, nobody feels comfortable. Nice store, says Ethan. Thanks, it's doing pretty well, all things considered. What do you mean, all things considered, says Jono. You could always tell Jono and Jay apart by the small mole tucked in where Jono's nose meets his face on the left side. Otherwise, it was a crapshoot, especially in a crowded bar deep into the night. For rock stars that were twins, they were surprisingly well behaved, never getting up to the type of trouble that someone like Nico would have embraced if he'd been blessed with a twin partner in crime. Boring stuff, online issues, market saturation, that type of thing, said Robert. We've managed to weather the storm to a certain extent. Things are good, knock on wood. Robert knocks on wood and leaves out the part where they might have to move stores. His business partner is supporting his wife's awful situation and he's just managed to offend the two women who work here and that could spill over to the young guy as well who is dating one of them. Otherwise, everything is tickety-boo. We won't keep you from your pressing business then, Bobby, says Nico. Always, Nico. Why make a simple comment when you can slip a little shiv in between the words? What annoys Robert the most is that, just because he doesn't react, Nico thinks he's being really clever, slipping in a bar where nobody expects it. Me and the boys, continues Nico, have had a couple of catch-ups and we've spoken to Christy and we're here to tell you we want to do this. We want to get the band back together and do some tours, make some money, maybe even release a new album. Robert looks around at the group and absorbs everyone's reactions to this not-surprising revelation. Jay and Jono nod their heads in unison while Ethan continues to look down at the floor. It is quite clear who is the ringleader in this venture, and it is also clear who needs it the most. Robert feels an urge to tell them, yeah, go for it. No worries. Take the name, take the songs, find a new singer to take over the band. Maybe someone from a cover band or Terence Trent Darby, he'd be great. Hit the road and leave me the fuck alone. Robert could say all of that. He has a feeling it wouldn't make the situation any better. For once, maturity wins out. Why is he acting like a grown-up this morning? That's already blown up in his face. Fuck, normally he'd be hung over in bed, ignoring Alfred's meowing to get up and keep him company. He mentally writes a note to self. Get more fucked up next Friday night. So what is this situation then? Have you come around to strong-arm me into saying yes? Jay, the moleless twin, waves his hands in Robert's direction. 
We're not here to force you, mate, he says. We caught up last night. We had breakfast together this morning. We figured if you saw all of us, maybe it would remind you of the good times. It isn't about the money, says Jono. Although the money would be really handy for some of us, right, Ethan? Says Nico, looking over at their bass player. Ethan scratches the back of his head and looks at Robert, embarrassed about what he is going to say. Yeah, the money would be really good for me, he says. Robert can see that. He looks back at Nico, angry that he's using their old friend as bait. One big breath to compose his thoughts and then Robert answers. What you're proposing is that we all get back together, rehearse our old stuff so we can go on tour and then work on some new material so we can release a new album and do what? More touring? More hanging out together? That sounds great. Exactly half of the band smiles at Robert's response. The twin half, to be exact. Ethan and Nico, not so much. They know something else is coming. Nico even folds his arms across his chest, preparing for the impact. And most importantly, Robert says, looking at each band member one at a time, I guess we're giving everyone a clean slate for their past behaviour so we can move forward, right? Now his band members are all on the same page, looking at each other with expressions that Robert finds difficult to read. Maybe they weren't expecting an all-out honesty assault to their request. Robert doesn't believe he said anything that was too provocative. Every one of them exhibited some level of poor behaviour towards the end. What would you expect from a bunch of young guys who experienced fame together but had different relationships with the outcome? There is a rise in the tension that fills the room. Nico begins to speak, always Nico, and as his mouth opens, Robert knows exactly what his plan of attack will be. Well, it's easy for you, little Lord Fortleroy, with your bags of inherited money, says Nick. Bingo! You can always rely on the good old money gambit from his ex-drummer. Although Robert concedes to himself that he is actually surprised by the use of little Lord Fortleroy in the put-down. It felt like Nico had seen it used elsewhere and had been waiting to use it at the appropriate moment. Robert wonders if he rehearsed this moment in front of a mirror like young taxi driver De Niro, or maybe just played it out over and over in his head. If Robert asked Nico to explain the plot of The Little Lord, he doubts he'd land within a country mile of the tale. Robert isn't certain he would either, but he'd only ever seen Nico reading one book, and that book was The Da Vinci Code. Nuff said. Flattery will get you everywhere, Nico. Come on, mate, Jono with the mole says. We're all friends, let's be civil about this. Robert can't help but laugh. This is civil? Nico stands up and puffs out his chest, his second flowery shirt held together by the iron will of the buttons. We're being civil, mate. This is just bullshit. We can make some real money here. Nostalgia is back. We're ready to go and this guy's holding us back, Nico says, pointing at Robert to his ex-bandmates. He turns back and looks at him, his eyes reddening. Robert wonders for a moment if he's on something. And stop with this writer's block crap. It's nearly ten years since Mel died. You need to get over it. Silence. Outside of the office, Robert can hear Damien bringing his class to a close, the children's sweet voices harmonising to fill the store with excitement and wonder. He tries to focus on that sound because he can feel the anger coursing through his body, burning his skin, his teeth coming together and causing sparks at the back of his jaw. He takes in the band. Jay, without the mole, looks to the ground, while Jono, with the mole, stares defiantly at Robert, waiting for his reaction. Ethan appears to have shrunk. He looks like he's attempting to fold himself into another universe. Meanwhile, Nico grows bigger by the second, full of piss and vinegar, his self-righteousness giving him powers beyond mortal ken. Everything has slowed down for Robert. 
and he begins to formulate everything he could do in this instance. He could accuse the twins of being so self-centred that their attempts to not rock the boat were in fact self-serving. Happy soldiers marching forward without thinking what they could do to sort out any of the problems the band had. Robert could get really nasty with Ethan and point out that his indiscriminate drug use and desire to please everyone led to him flaking out on everyone at some point. He won't do that to Ethan because he still likes him, but knowing that he could inspires a bag of mixed feelings. Then, of course, there is Nico. Always Nico. Good old Nico, fucking everything he could whenever he could. His drug use was legendary and worn as a badge of honour. He stole from all of them at one point or another, and it was always justified by his honesty. Sure, he'd talk in interviews about his drug abuse, the crimes that led him to, and he was so, woe is me, honest about his mistakes, but he never took that information and turned it on himself. He might have had a heroin addiction that he could openly talk about, but there is a difference in talking honestly and truly owning all the ways that made you a terrible person. While he may have started off as a great guy with a natural charisma, his actions over decades began to make Robert question if he ever really was a good guy at the start, or he was just a chameleon who knew what to do and say at any given moment, hiding who he truly was in plain sight. Also, bringing up that name, that simple name, abbreviated in a way that was only for her close friends, is a dirty blow, considering the small part he had in her death. Robert can use all of this, throw them out, and never speak to any of them again. He wants to pick up a pile of graphic novels and smash them into Nico's face. A massive kapow moment that would finish with Robert throwing him into the alley behind the store. He also knows in some way that this is what they all want, what Nico desperately wants. A confrontation, a moment that justifies all of his thoughts, for Robert to break down and admit, yes, since her death, he has found it difficult to hear music, to want to hear music. His inability to create something new has been taken away from him, and now the band can help him find his way back. Thank you, Lord. Thank the Almighty. He watches the four men in front of him begin to shift uneasily, the silence starting to invoke doubt in their actions. He knows his ex-bandmates, his old friends, all want something to happen, happen right now. So Robert waits a beat and then acquiesces, but decides to zig instead of zag. Great to see you guys, he says, walking through the band towards the office door. And enjoy the rest of your time in the city and I'll be in touch. He opens the door and doesn't bother to look back, instead walking into a sea of children following Damien about the store. He doesn't see Jemima anywhere and feels disappointed for a second, but when Nalani bounces into view, he knows she can't be far behind. On cue, Jemima stands up at the counter, retrieving her purse from the bag she rests between her feet on the ground, waiting for someone to serve it. It looks like the girls haven't returned yet, so Robert walks over to help with the purchase. Here, let me get these for you, Robert says, slipping behind the counter and picking up the graphic novels. Nalani looks at him with a big grin on her face. Did you enjoy the time with Damien this morning? Yeah, he was really cool, she replies. Don't you mean yes? Nalani closes her eyes, acknowledging she did mean to say yes. From this little act out, Robert surmises that this is a regular routine with her mum. I mean, yes, he was really cool. Robert smiles at Nalani. It is refreshing to talk to someone that is uncomplicated. Damien is cool, says Robert, placing the graphic novels in a paper bag and blazoned with the Ultimate Comics logo on it. Here you go. Jemima offers her credit card and Robert waves it off. I've got these, he says. I can't let you pay for those. I insist. You must swing by for dinner tonight then, before you head off on your date. Nalani's eyes light up. 
Are you dating my auntie? She says. Behind the girls, he watches his former band skulk towards the entrance, Nico leading the charge with the twins right behind him. Ethan brings up the rear and tries to say something, but Robert shakes him off and looks back at Nalani. They had their chance, and while some of them were obviously cajoled into coming in, the fact remains that they were all on the same wavelength at a certain point today. They should feel lucky that Robert didn't bring his foot down with a resounding no. Nico's gambit was a misfire, and now Robert had to weigh up how much effort it would have on his final decision. At this moment, his anger felt insurmountable, but he knew at some point he'd calm down and then have to decide if he was the one who was being clouded in his response. I wouldn't say dating, but we are going to hang out a bit tonight. Jemima leans in and asks in a low voice, Was that your ex-bandmates walking out? It was indeed. Are you getting back together? That is a good question for another day, he says with a forced smile. Chastised by this false reply, Jemima feels herself go red and Robert immediately feels guilty for making her feel this way. While he's doing his best not to lose his temper and hulk out in the store, this isn't her fault. It isn't necessarily his either. Or maybe it is. It definitely wasn't the result he wanted this morning. Heck, the whole morning has been a shamble. He watches Kylie return to the store and walks straight towards Damien. He doesn't notice her at first, too busy speaking to a parent and their child about the morning class. Kylie decides to wait impatiently, ever so slightly out of his line of sight. Robert feels a cold shiver make its way down his spine. I'll see you tonight, Robert says, holding his smile as naturally as possible. Jemima smiles and puts her arm around Nalani. Thanks for this morning. I'll get Erica to contact you and sort out a time. That's great. Thanks for coming along this morning, Nalani. How about you show me more of your comic when I come over? Okay, bye, she says, her arm linking naturally around the back of her mum. It almost breaks Robert's heart to see what normal affection can look like. A type of affection he had missed out on the majority of his life. He watches them leave the store and in the process feels that weight return to his shoulders, his back and the dark recesses of his mind. He hates this feeling. He wants it gone. He doesn't want any of this to be his default setting anymore. He's in such a woe-is-me mode. It's embarrassing. On the flip side, how dare Nico bring up Melody? He can feel the anger begin to burn just under the skin, burning away the cold dread he feels in his bones about his staff, his heartbeat increasing the tempo with each thought. Robert doesn't have time to stew on it, though. He can't allow the anger with Nico to outweigh the potential issue he's just created in the store. He looks around and can't see Kylie anywhere, so he tentatively begins walking in Damien's direction. Before he can say anything, Damien speaks to him. Hey, something has gone down with Anissa, so Kylie has gone off to help her. She's left for the day? Maybe. I don't know. Is that okay? In any other situation, Robert thinks that the answer would be no, but not this time. He knows that he is the reason they've left for the day and he might make things worse by insisting they come back. Then again, they are employees and can't choose their own times. Yet he did start this whole thing. He still is the boss, a boss who has been quite high and hungover and still drunk on numerous occasions. Robert feels his head begin to pound and decides he'd really like a joint. Maybe there's one in his drawer, out at his desk out the back. I'm going out the back. Are you going to keep an eye on things? No problem, boss, Damien says, heading straight to the counter. Robert ducks into the office and rummages through his drawer. There are all sorts of papers and items in there, including two different types of stress balls in the shape of little AFL footies, a baseball and a stack of postcards that have Marvel Comics artwork on them. More importantly, he finds a half-smoked joint that looks like it might have been laying there for a few centuries. Indiana fucking Jones, says Robert. 
He ducks outside into the alley and blazes up, drawing the old weed smoke deep into his lungs. He stands still for a moment to see if it will work and impatiently takes another toke. Then another, then another. By the time he is done, there is just the butt left and Robert is convinced his emergency J has lost its mojo. He looks about for something to kick in frustration but finds nothing, so instead he stands impotently staring at the wall, his head for the briefest of moments devoid of thought, a blank page. What a perfect end to the morning, finding part of a joint that didn't get him stoned. He keeps staring at the wall, his eyes looking deeper and deeper at the bricks, noticing the way the little holes and gaps come together and pull apart. He stares at the wall and watches an ant crawl across the dark red facade and wonders what is happening in the ant's world. Imagine being that ant, so small in a world so big, just doing your thing, trying to survive, with so many other insects out to get you, or being stomped on by a human, a giant foot that has no desire to hurt you, but will end your life nonetheless poor ant what did you do wrong why am i complaining when i could be an ant just trying to get by eat some sugar is that what ants eat maybe they do maybe they'd like to eat better food too do they like music do they make music does that ant make music adam ant makes music carly would like that joke except she hates him now god if only he could be the ant. This is bullshit. This ant has it made. Look at him walking along a brick wall on an overcast day. Is it overcast again? It's always fucking overcast. Fucking Melbourne. Everything is overcast. The whole world is overcast. Over it. Everyone is over or under it. Look at that ant. And then his head begins to spin. And maybe he'll pass out at his legs buckle. And suddenly Robert knows he is indeed bent. Bent out of recognition. Bent beyond control. Oh shit. Falling over. Falling. Put hand out to brace. Slide onto ground. The alley is disgusting. Don't lay in it too late. Oh dear. What is happening? And as he looks up at the sky, he hears a voice. A deep voice. The manliest of man voices he's ever heard. The vibrations of this voice resonating through his tired, broken body. He hears the voice exclaim, finally! And Robert wonders what is finally as he passes out and goes nine eyes and sinks into the darkness. Chapter 21. Robert opens his eyes and flinches as the bright day inspires raw shark blotches to coalesce on the surface of his vision. He blinks them away before they reveal some hidden Freudian message that he really isn't in the best of states to deal with. How old are you? Robert shakes his face back and forth trying to clear his head so he can make out who was standing in front of him. Whoever it is could use some new clothes. It's a man. Robert can definitely tell that. A very tall man dressed in a tattered brown raincoat that covers dirty black jeans and a charcoal grey jumper. Robert is glad he's downwind. Certain those clothes would smell like damp carpet. Yet as his eyesight returns to normal, Robert notices that the man standing before him is not just tall, but also quite handsome with smooth golden skin that looks like it radiates the type of warmth a kitten could snuggle up to. He also has sharp blue eyes that look like they were carved from the sky, and what appears to be short black hair that is covered by a grimy New York Yankees black baseball cap. Robert is so drawn to this contradiction of a man that stands before him, it takes him a few minutes to realise that they're on the roof of the store. What? says Robert as he grapples to understand his current predicament. How old are you? Your age will help me work out the time difference in this pocket universe, he replies, his voice deep and calm. Am I supposed to understand anything you're saying? He stares intently, and for a brief moment, Robert feels a tingle over his body. I used my ultimate vision to remove the toxins you just inhaled. Your body is totally clean. 
That should help us for now, but I have to warn you, with every use of my powers, I weaken just a little. Oh shit, Robert knows exactly what's going on. Good looking guy, dressed like a homeless person, it all makes sense. He's an actor, some shithouse actor in character doing some insane shit to justify his latest role. Robin never trusted any actors he met because anyone who can become somebody completely different was either full of shit or a tedious blank slate that needed a writer's words for them to be considered mildly interesting. Robert had only ever met two actors that he considered to be genuinely interesting and both of them were George Clooney. Let's just say it's amazing what adventures a night out on the tequila with a new friend can lead to. Then again, Robert does suddenly feel more focused, more aware. Does he dare say it straight? Of course, that could be due to the adrenaline flowing through his veins and the mild panic he's feeling at this point. Robert looks about the rooftop again, across at the other buildings with their darkened windows looming over this scene, wondering if anyone is watching. How strong was this actor? This nutter must have carried Robert up the stairs, but how did he have the strength to carry him up so many levels? Hang on, how did he even get access to the stairs? What is happening? I know what you're thinking, he continues. I flew up here with you. My powers are fading in this place. I can already feel mundane narratives attaching themselves to me, reducing me to a banal explanation where we know I am so much more. Please, I need to know how old you are. Robert leans up onto his elbows and looks at the man. This is too weird. Maybe he isn't an actor and he is a homeless person. Robert had seen enough in recent times to know there were people out there who needed help. Something isn't adding up though. With no answers forthcoming, he may as well answer. I'm 44, says Robert. Right, so that means for every minute in our universe that you've been down here, a year has passed in this pocket dimension. Today is... Saturday. That's right. That means our way out of here is on Tuesday. We have until Tuesday to find the flute that will play the song which will help us defeat the frail once and for all. Robert swings around onto his hands and knees and slowly stands up, his body aching and cracking with every movement. He pushes his hair from his face, but it immediately wraps itself around his head again, the wind flapping the long strands to one side like a hirsute gorgon. How does it feel to be older than you really are, says the homeless man. Robert moves his head side to side, two cracks of the neck for each movement. I don't know. Shitty? How does it feel to be a crazy homeless man with the strength of an ox? Immediately, Robert regrets this. He doesn't know this man. Why is he antagonising him? If shit goes down, there is nobody around to stop this guy from throwing him off the roof. Ha ha ha! I know. Good to see you haven't lost your sense of humour, he says, his laugh as booming as his voice. Till they left a flock of startled pigeons take flight, awakened from their slumber and pigeon dreams. Look, Robert says, I don't want to upset you, but what are we doing up here? Above them, the clouds begin to rumble and darken, causing the homeless man to look to the sky. He returns his gaze to Robert and takes a step towards him. Robert instinctively takes a step backward. Don't be afraid, says the homeless man, holding his position. You don't remember me at all, do you? Robert shakes his head. He can feel the fear rising in his body and begins to wonder if he's indeed in a lot of trouble. He's had stalker fans in the past, girls who have believed that the lyrics in his songs were direct messages to them, or boys who recognised themselves in the story and were too keen to be best friends. There were even a couple of times that he had to go to the police to report the weird emails people would send or the strange presents that people would post. None of that compared to finding himself on the roof of a building after passing out, though. Do you remember anything at all? Robert shakes his head and mouths a no, but the words fail him, dry and crumbling on his lips. Okay, this could come as a shock. This world 
isn't real. It's a life trap designed by the frail to hide the song that will save the multiverse. It might be the most complex we have ever faced. We also don't have much time. We have to find the instrument that contains the song so we can save the day. He pauses. Again. Now Robert is really beginning to panic. He takes one step backward before replying, Right. I know this is difficult to believe. This place is so grey, so mundane. Where are the heroes? Where are the alien cultures? As I said before, I can feel a narrative attaching to me, drawing me down, and I'm doing what I can to fight it off. In the distance, thunder sounds, a bullwhip snap that makes Robert jump. Listen to me, because this is important, the man continues. I'm your best friend. We are heroes from a universe that is much larger, greater than this. We are currently in battle against the frail, possibly the greatest threat we have ever faced. They're rolling through the multiverse and attempting to replace the complexity of life with an endless void. We may have underestimated them, but my wife leads the charge, and I have every confidence we'll win the day. Robert just stares, unblinking for a moment. This man is crazy. Properly crazy, mental, off his rocker. Not only has the cheese slipped off the cracker, but the gherkin has followed it, and now the cracker has hit the ground and been mashed into the carpet. He's trapped with a crazy man on the roof of the building where his store resides with what sounds like a storm coming their way. Fingers crossed lightning strikes them both, so Robert never has to attempt to explain this to anyone. I know, I know, my optimism is too much sometimes, but you know we always win. Remember that time we defeated the Super Sphinx by answering his unanswerable question with the perfect joke? No? Do you remember our last adventure where we entered that universe where we were just actors in an ongoing sitcom? What about the time we saved the Norse gods by making delicious hostess Twinkie Pies out of the golden apples we retrieved from the god of mischief himself? Robert has stopped listening. While this madman talks, he looks about the roof searching for the door or any possible way to escape before he is attacked. Or worse, talk to death. Maybe the best way forward is to just agree with him. That sounds like a good idea. Possibly the only good idea he's had all day. Oh, yes, says Robert. Yes, of course. What grand adventures. I know you. Hey, why don't we go downstairs and get a cup of coffee? My treat. We can talk about all of our adventures in the comfort of the cafe across the road. For a moment, he thinks his ruse has worked, but the homeless man shakes his head. I can read your body language. You don't believe me. Around them, the sky lights up before the thunder follows. Why don't you tell me your name, says Robert. Maybe this will help make the man humanise himself so they can talk normally. Okay, although I fear it might be too much for you. He says, his shoulders broadening and his dirty coat straining against the seams. They call me Ultimate Man, but you know me as Kirk, Kirk Allen. Kirk Allen? Well, my birth name was Kirk Allen, but on Earth I'm known as Kirk Allen. Remember we discovered all of this information when we found the rocket that brought me from Universe Designate RH45 at its point of collapse? You don't remember any of this. Robert is now convinced the man is totally bonkers. He's experienced these weird people usually after gigs, the type of fans who are having a great time, but then resent you because you're not giving them enough attention. What starts out as a nice chat... Jackknifes without warning as comments loaded with fire and anger get aimed your way. Little jabs designed to get a reaction out of you that remind you you're not special and how dare you think you are in the first place, even though they're the ones that approached you. Normally, Robert just walks away, but this time feels different. The guy is too big, too broad, too strong to be taken lightly. Quite clearly, he didn't fly up to the roof, but he must have carried Robert upstairs after he passed out from the joint, and that is seriously impressive and frightening. 
Without thinking, Robert slips his hand into his pocket and immediately feels his phone, his fingers tracing the contrails, what could be his salvation. I know you have an electronic device that you think will get you out of this situation, Kirk says. Robert immediately lets go of it. It's good to see you have retained some of your way of thinking down here. 44 years. I thought you'd be out of here within seconds. This place is well designed. I will give them that. Robert tries to swallow, but his mouth is dry. Kirk, we need to get out of this thunderstorm, he says. Yes, I can't have you struck by lightning and killed or I'll be down here alone. I've barely seen the sun since I arrived, so I'm trying to store as much energy as possible, enough to find the instrument and fly us out of here before the black sun dips overhead. Robert feels a moment of hope. Let's just get downstairs so he can do the most manly thing he can think of, and that is call for help while making a run for it. Wait, says Kirk. He cocks his head to one side as if he's listening to a tune on the radio. What is it? I have to go. Children need me. I know nothing is real down here, but the denizens of the life trap don't know that, so I'd better go save them. Before I go, though, you need to remember, Kirk says. He walks over to Robert and stands in front of him, his blue eyes staring deep into his soul. Now that I know who you are here, Kirk continues, I'll be able to find you easily later tonight. Don't panic. You'll be fine. You're always fine. You're the huntsman. Nothing phases you. Kirk raises his hand and Robert attempts to ward off the homeless man from touching him, but it is too late. Warm fingers touch Robert on the forehead as rain begins to fall. And before he knows it, he's gone, lost again to the dark, the homeless man's word echoing in his mind. Who the fuck is the huntsman? Thank you for joining us. You're always welcome here. Remember to avoid danger with strangers and never accept advice from mice. We hope to see you again here soon. Until then. <laughs>